It took the city a long time to begin to heal from this tragedy. Rich Davis recalled when the city started to feel somewhat itself again. The Pittsburgh Steelers football team had a basketball team that did charity. These football players came out and did charity games. Yep. They came to Evansville, and I think they filled the stadium. There must have been 10,000 people there. And I don't know who they played, but the Pittsburgh players would play maybe Aces, uh, some of the great Aces players. That night, there was some lightheartedness, and that was the first time I heard anybody laugh since the crash. It had been a couple of months ago. And I think then, UE had said they were going to have a, a team the next year. They were going to find a new coach. And I think people started to realize we can get over this, and it just took off. The Pittsburgh Steelers were the winningest team of the 1970s and them coming to Evansville was a morale booster for everyone. The NFL was really starting to take the throne for America's most popular sport and the most popular team of that sport coming to Evansville was a big deal. A local judge in Pittsburgh who managed the team heard about the tragedy and contacted the Steelers offseason basketball team. The Steelers did a lot of charity events with this off-season basketball team, mostly around Western Pennsylvania, but from time to time, they would broaden their horizons and go across America. Past UE greats were matching up against Steeler greats and current players. This was one of the first feelings of normalcy in Evansville at this fundraiser since December 13th. There was a holiday tournament that Evansville's rival, Southern Illinois, played on their behalf. Middle Tennessee State, who Evansville was going to play on the day of the crash, held a memorial service where the coach read off the scouting report for each player. This humanized the players and highlighted their positive attributes. Even President Jimmy Carter sent a letter to Evansville sharing his heartfelt sympathy. Evansville's tragedy had turned into a national story. Amidst much scrutiny, the Aces and President of the University, Wallace Graves, did not know exactly what to do. They contemplated creating a new team with current UE students to play the rest of the scheduled games, but decided against it and canceled the games altogether. Canceling the games came out of necessity. The team had to start from scratch. With so little time to do so, since the season was already underway, the focus was put on rebuilding. The team came back next season with a coach by the name of Dick Walters. The school was given special permissions on transfers and got some really good players from big schools like the University of Iowa. The basketball team would get back on track and would have a record of 13-16. and 16. And for a team with 100% new players and a new head coach, this is a very good record. Though President Graves asked the families of some of the victims of the crash how the university should spend donation funds, some of the families ultimately felt like the university did not listen to them. They hired attorneys and requested an audit of the memorial fund. Because UE was and is a private university, it didn't need to release its financial statements like public schools. Further stoking tension between the university and the Evansville public was the fact that the Evansville Courier and UE President Graves did not get along. Graves felt the Courier was damaging the reputation of the university 
and cared little for the fact that the university had helped educate and nurture the Evansville community for years. In fact, the Courier published a few articles in the fall of 1978 with headlines like Victims' Parents Reject UE Offer and Memorial Fund Dispersals May Not Have Been What Donors Intended. Whether or not they did this to make the university look bad or just to report the news is unclear. In the end, 110,000 of the 330,000 donation haul was spent on the monument that is still on campus today. Only 26,000 was used for scholarships, which is a disappointing number compared to the grand total and some families wanted an eternal flame near the Carson Center on campus. Instead, the university opted for a fountain in the middle of campus. Some people, like Professor Joe Atkinson, who has done his own documentary titled From the Ashes, the University of Evansville Purple Aces, thinks it was the right move. I think, I think UE's is very fitting. Uh, the weeping basketball in the center of campus, uh, it's, it's memorable. Um, it's not just a you know, slap of granite which walk past and, and then you kind of get numb to it. It's, you know, you've got water running, you've got, you know, kind of affects multiple senses and it's hard to walk past it and not take a moment and, and realize, you know, what's there when it's up and it's running. I have to agree with Professor Atkinson. If the monument had been erected outside of Roberts Stadium, there might not be a monument at all anymore. Putting the memorial on UE's campus proved to be the best route to take since Roberts Stadium is torn down and I could look at this monument anytime I wanted to. I think that the university made the right decision in its memorial and I think they have done a fantastic job at solemnly commemorating the players and the team. The monument and the remembrance they have on anniversaries keeps the tragedy in more minds and hearts than I had previously realized before starting this project. That being said, memorializing, an act of remembering, butted up against those, such as new head coach Dick Walters, who wished to move beyond the tragedy. In Steve Bevan's book, We Will Rise, which incidentally has been a huge source for me, Bevan illuminates Walter's mindset. According to Bevan's, Dick Walters always opposed living in the past with this tragedy. Instead, he wanted to start the process of renewing the program. In order to do so, he actively worked against remembrance. For example, he decided against a moment of silence before games. Furthermore, he redesigned the uniform so one couldn't associate them with the past. Walter said in an interview with the Chicago Tribune, I've done everything humanly possible to make people forget. It's history and you can't change history. Walters acknowledged that you couldn't change history, but it didn't stop him from trying to make people forget it ever happened. Walters felt like rebuilding with the tragedy still looming was impossible, so he tried to put it in the rearview mirror. Overall, I think this is what the Evansville community wanted as well. Also realizing that the next season, so we came back in January, we have no basketball schedule. We have nothing. We have no basketball coaches, we have no players, we have nothing. So we had from January until May when we left, and then through the summer to process our grief. So 
while it may sound hard-hearted that that coach was doing that, that coach was doing that maybe not consciously knowing, but we had already had six months to process our grief. That doesn't mean it goes away or gets less or anything like that, but a lot of us were ready to move on. The original monument that was erected on UE's campus is still there and sits in a place students and faculty walk by every day. The university opted for a fountain in the middle of campus where you will find two huge stones that serve as the entry with the team members' names etched into them. Once you walk through the stone entryway, there is a fountain always producing water from all around it on a mound of perfectly laid brick. The water constantly coming out is to represent the tears that are always shed for the people lost in the crash. Um, and having talked to some people who were involved in the discussion, I mean, yeah, they were, that, that, that space was kind of chosen because it was the heart of the, the, heart of the campus. However, if you are not a UE student and you are just a resident of Evansville, you would never stumble upon this monument. It seems like this monument was erected strictly for the UE campus, not necessarily the city, and that may be where the problem is. The community had to erect its own memorials. Today, in addition to the monument titled Memorial Plaza on UE's campus, there are two other notable ones in Evansville. One is at the Ford Center in downtown Evansville, where the Aces started playing their home games in 2011. Prior to its erection in 2011, the Aces played in Roberts Stadium, which was torn down in 2013. Roberts Stadium had a monument to the UE tragedy but it's unclear if that same monument now lies inside the Ford Center. After asking multiple people, I could not receive an exact answer. The Ford Center monument, however, is a giant display that features pictures of the players, coach, and team in action. The monument is large and is to the right of the main entrance with a prominent frame around it and black reflective glass. This monument is beautiful and it perfectly serves its purpose to honor the team and its legacy. A second monument is at Oak Hill Cemetery. It is also to the right of the main entrance behind the lake. The lake serves as the host for the Veterans Memorial. If you follow the path around the lake, however, you will find the nondescript monument sitting on the edge of the land. The monument is small but has a meaningful message and a unique one in the memorializing of this tragedy. Instead of focusing solely on the team, this monument thanks the first responders who were quick to the scene that night. There is also a sad, small-looking Evansville Purple Ace mascot that is incredibly detailed and colorful. This monument was erected in 2017 for the 40th anniversary by the city. Despite the visual reminders that dot the landscape around Evansville, when talking with people, most did not feel that UE today was still affected by the crash. Evansville has had flash in the pan moments where the community had optimism for the UE program. The Dick Walters led program made the NCAA tournament in 1982, the first time since the Aces had jumped to Division I. 
A University of Evansville legend, Jim Cruz, who coached the program from 1985 to 2002, took the team to the tournament four times in his tenure. The team made the big dance in 1989, 1992, 1993, and 1999. The team would stay in the Missouri Valley Conference watching teams like Creighton and Wichita State move on to bigger conferences. On November 12, 2019, the Aces would beat the University of Kentucky Wildcats, who were ranked number one in the country at the time. The next day, Aces coach Walter McCarty would be on national radio with Dan Patrick, and the optimism surrounding the program had never been higher in my lifetime. It would fizzle out soon after, however, first as McCarty was fired amid a scandal as the university investigated various Title IX violations, and second, because of the pandemic that would ultimately sweep the scandal under the rug and kept people fixated on anything but basketball in the spring of 2020. I am very optimistic and hopeful, as should be the community, for the future of this program. The goal of my research and interviews was to provide a public examination of why I had never heard of this tragedy. The thought being, if I haven't heard about this, who else might not know? Through my research, however, it became obvious that the answer was complicated. There is a fine line between remembering a tragedy and wallowing in it. With the former, one could perhaps emerge on the other side, ready to try new challenges and take on new efforts. With the latter, however, it's paralyzing. Walters knew that, and it was why he pushed so hard to climb out from behind the wreckage, not just of Flight 216, but of its terrible legacy. Moreover, as those who have studied World War I memorials and monuments know, time marches on and people's interest in these objects and places of remembrance seems to wane. Finally, I'll posit that the world is just different now. Evansville is different now. In the 1970s, it was much easier to support your local team. Beside the occasional pro and college game on TV or radio, your local team was your team. The Aces were inexorably linked to Evansville, its culture, its people, and through the monuments to its landscape. But in 2021, there is access to thousands of games, past and present, all with the click of a button. People I talked to, like Mayor of Evansville and UE alumni Mayor Lloyd Winnicky, noticed this as well. I think that there are so many entertainment options available today that people just have, they have more choices than they did when I was a kid. So uh, consequently, you know, what was once really popular now is maybe only moderately popular. So it's a matter of choice and not as, not a conscious decision to not support the Aces. All that being said, it is my opinion that it will not take much to spark Evansville's latent interest in the Aces once again. The program is in great hands, and Todd Licklitter, who was a head coach at Iowa and Butler before UE, and has Brad Stevens in his coaching tree, who is now president of basketball operations for the Boston Celtics. 
In addition to UE, Crosstown College, University of Southern Indiana, has just announced that they will be exploring Division I status within the next few years. Though the memorials ensure that those who perished on Air Indiana Flight 216 will never be forgotten, right now, as they did in the past, the people of Evansville are looking toward their sports teams to bring forth a bright future. I grew up in Chandler, 15 minutes away from Evansville, if that. I went to Aces games for just ordinary weekend activities and I went to them at Roberts Stadium and I've been to them at the Ford Center. I love sports and I have since I was a kid, same with history. When I discovered this tragedy and realized I had never heard of it, I immediately began researching it. I went to the UE Library Archives, Willard Library Archives, I drove up to Lafayette, Indiana, and all over Evansville, meeting people at parks and outside coffee shops. I talked with people I regarded as celebrities in our own community, like Mayor Lloyd Winnicky and Mike Blake, as well as made new connections with people who will hold a special place in my heart for their help and support on this podcast, like Professor Joe Atkinson, Stan Blackford, Rich Davis, Sue Wilder, and Sarah Bauer. I also want to personally thank all the other people who helped, like Matt Parker and my Aunt Melinda, and anyone else who gave me useful and helpful information. Thank you to my amazing professor, Dr. Stella Ress, for the incredible support and help she gave along the way. I truly could not have been done without you.